Well, welcome to Life of Purpose Christian Church. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm going to bring you a message today on Ecclesiastes, Micah, and 2 John. Now, I know the COVID-19 virus has changed your life forever. I know that being in quarantine for two months here in Michigan, we are so tired of it. It feels like six months, right? I mean, we are done with this. We want to move on. But you know what? Things aren't going to go back to normal. I mean, they didn't go back to normal after 9-11. Flight travel has never been the same. So life is not going to be the same. And you know what? I understand that makes you feel a certain way. In fact, I've really observed people's feelings as of late. Um, during this quarantine, I've noticed that uh, wants have now become needs. Ladies, you don't want to get your hair done. You need to get your hair done. I've noticed there's a lot less selfies when you can't go to the salon. I don't know, maybe there's a correlation there, maybe not. But I've also noticed that parents are feeling exhausted trying to keep their little ones busy, trying to keep their, their school-age children on track with online school, which is a challenge in itself. I've noticed that singles are feeling lonely by themselves. I mean, I have a friend who's a recent widow, and he's home by himself all the time. Just think about how that would make you feel. Loneliness. I know grandparents are sad. They cannot hug their grandchildren. In fact, I just spoke with my grandmother um, yesterday, and she was telling me that her assisted living feels like a prison. Nobody can come see her. No, she can't go anywhere. It's not enjoyable. Many people also are feeling anxious on a daily basis. For some, life has just gone from busy, busy, busy to slow down, nothing going on. And sometimes when that happens and we look at our life, it can kind of stress us out. So that may be how you're feeling. But then there are those who are feeling very fearful on a daily basis. I mean, fear that they're going to get the virus. Maybe you have to go to work every day and you're afraid I might get it. What's going to happen to me? You're fearful, I've noticed, going to the grocery store. Fearful of just coming within six feet of other people. Like, that's a fear that we have. Um, fear of the unknown. What's it going to look like when school starts back up in the fall? There's a fear there that people have. These are feelings that I have observed. And maybe they're feelings that you have um, had. Uh, maybe you're having them on a regular basis. And I know what you want more than anything. It's what you need. You need reassurance that everything's going to be all right. You know that famous song by Bob Marley, everything's going to be all right, right? And it's funny because I looked that up not knowing the name of that song. That's not the name of the song, by the way. But I looked it up. There has been several songs written, everything's going to be all right. In fact, if you Google it, you'll find there's a whole bunch of songs that people write because trying to reassure us that everything's going to be all right. But you know what? I believe you need more than a song. I believe you need something to fix your mind on. You need someone that you can trust in, and I know who that someone is. In fact, I want to share that someone with you. I want to share and give you reassurance today. If you are ready for that, then say, preach it, brother. I'm listening. I didn't hear you. 
All right, let's start with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this day that we have uh, gathered together in our homes to worship you. Father, I pray your word would make a difference in our lives. It would transform us. It would make us more like you. Father, I pray today that you would give us some reassurance that the way we're feeling, um, that you would give us a confidence that we can get from you. I pray, Father, that we would trust and obey you every single day. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Today, you want some answers to life's problems, life's issues. But you know what? When you go online or when you ask other people, um, search for answers, you'll find that there are lots of voices. I mean, everybody has an opinion, right? Uh, I joke in my statistics class that your opinion is only a sample size of one. And if you've ever taken statistics, you know that I just burned you. But anyway, sample size of one. Yeah, everybody's got an opinion, right? And and there's lots of voices that we can listen to. But we need to listen to the right one. Now, if you go back in time to around 950 BC, if you lived in that time, there would have been only one voice that you would have listened to. Because that one voice was the wisest man in the land in the whole world. In fact, he might even be the wisest man to ever live. And his name is Solomon, King Solomon. Now, we've just recently gone through the book of Proverbs, and he wrote Proverbs. But he also wrote this other book that we're going to cover today called Ecclesiastes. That's right, um, Ecclesiastes. Now, you may wonder, like I wondered, what does Ecclesiastes mean? Well, if you break the word apart, you see a word that you're probably familiar with If you've been listening to uh, me preach for a while, I've taught you the word ekklesia. It's a Greek word. That's part of the word ecclesiastes. And ekklesia is the word we use for church. But I tried to uh, teach you recently, I believe, that church really is not the best word. It's really congregation or assembly of people because that's what an ekklesia is. So the whole meaning of ecclesiastes is one who gives a message to the assembly of the people. In fact, you'll see that in verse 1, the ESV version of the Bible translates it preacher. So today, I'm your Ecclesiastes. I'm bringing you the word. Now, I want to tell you that if you've ever read Ecclesiastes before, you must understand that you don't want to read Ecclesiastes Um, picking verses out of context. Of course, you don't want to do that anywhere in the Bible ever. But this is a special word of caution because there's lots of verses in Ecclesiastes that you could take out of context and apply to um, the way maybe you want to live your life. I'll give you an example. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, it says, Solomon writes, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Now that sounds good maybe if you've just recently watched Dead Poet Society, right? I mean, that's carpe diem, suck the marrow out of life. Uh, Enjoy it because that's all there is. It's just this life. You die and 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 you're done and, and so you should live it up, right? That's verse nine. But that's not what 
he is saying. See, if you keep reading in verse 10, you'll see that he's being sarcastic. He says that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. There's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, to which you are going. And so Sheol is the place of the dead, as in hell. Solomon is being sarcastic here. Like, live, live however you want to live. doesn't matter anyway in the end. See the sarcasm? I hope you see it. In fact, he says 26 or so times, there's nothing new under the sun about life. It's all vanity. It's meaningless. But you've got to understand, that's, that's, sar- that's sarcasm. That's, that's not really what he believed, as we will see, as we take the book as a whole. So please always interpret each Bible verse uh, in, within its context. Now Solomon had a very unique opportunity, I believe, um, because he was very rich and powerful. He could do anything he wanted to do. And in this book, he tells you that he has done it all. I mean, everything you could possibly do on this earth, he's done it. And his conclusion, it's meaningless. It's not purposeful. Now, I know you probably want to do some amazing things. Like, you probably have some dreams of some things that you would like to do. If you had unending resources, right? Endless resources, you could do whatever you wanted. Every year, our family heads down to Florida for Christmas. And we go down there, and I love it because I get to go fishing. And that's something I love, and you know that. So when I head down to Florida, I find different places on land that I can go fishing. But what I would really like to do, if I had endless resources, um, I would love um, to hire a charter boat captain. I would love to go fishing um, with a charter boat. The problem is it's $400 for the day. And it's just not in the family budget. So I don't go. But I would love to do that. If I had Solomon's money, I'd do that every day. But I would come to the same conclusion that he has. It's meaningless. It doesn't have purpose. Sure, I'd have some good pictures for Facebook. Sure, I'd be able to make some good videos for my YouTube uh, channel. But I'm not going to find meaning and purpose just because I can spend a bunch of money and go out fishing all the time. In the end, when you've done it all, you'll come to the same conclusion as Solomon. It's all meaningless, right? Unless... Unless God gives you the power to enjoy it. That's right. That's what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19. Unless you have the power that God gives you to enjoy it, you won't. He says in verse 19, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. In the contrast to that, just a few verses later, he says, A man, this is Ecclesiastes 6.2, A man to whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not 
give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. And this is vanity. It's a grievous evil. He goes on to say in verse 3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years. In other words, like that's, you know, the epitome of of a, a man's best life possible. And the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial. I say a stillborn child is better off than he. I mean, I say Solomon felt pretty strong about this fact. Unless God gives you the power to enjoy life, the ability to enjoy it, you're not going to. doesn't matter what you have. I mean, it's the only way I can explain the difference between someone who makes, say, $20,000 a year and someone who makes $200,000 a year. You know, someone who eats ramen noodles for dinner versus someone who eats fettuccine alfredo. Someone who drives a rust bucket versus someone who drives a brand new car, right? How can the person eating ramen noodles, driving the rust bucket, enjoy life way more than the other person? The answer is God. God's given them the ability to do that. I'll give you an example. When I was in my 20s, I had um, earlier leased a brand new vehicle. Um, paid the payment every month, and that got old, and I don't know that I really enjoyed that vehicle very much. So what I did next was I bought an um, old car for about 3000 bucks, had about 125,000, 130,000 miles on it. And I tell you what, I love that car. You know, it didn't run as well. It, didn't, it did have a lot of problems with it, but I loved it because I didn't owe anybody anything. And it, it was all mine. And the verse that I love in the Bible says that God tells us not to be in debt, just the debt to love one another. And just not having any debt, not having to make a payment, was just giving me so much joy in this little car that pretty much fell apart not too long after. But I enjoyed it as long as I drove it. God must give you the power to enjoy what you have. Now when you look at Ecclesiastes as a whole, you'll come to the conclusion Solomon did in the end. This is the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He says, The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man, he says. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. And that's the reassurance that you need in these uncertain times. God is still on the throne. That's not changed. That has not changed, and you can trust in Him. It doesn't really matter if life is going great for you right now or you're miserable from this quarantine. What matters is that if you trust in God and you obey Him, you will find joy in life. Whether you're feeling restless or sad or lonely or anxious or fearful, You can feel those emotions. However, I want you to fix your mind on his promise. God's not a promise breaker. You know lots of people break promises, but God doesn't. And you can trust in him. So no matter how you feel today, trust God and obey. No matter how you feel today, trust God and obey. That's the message that we get from Ecclesiastes. No matter how you feel,
today. Trust God and obey. Guess what? The book of Micah is the same message. Written about 200 years later, 750 BC, what has happened in the kingdom of Israel? Well, it's split. There's a north kingdom, there's a south kingdom. They didn't listen um, to, to God, to Solomon, to his wisdom. And so Micah is a prophet and he's prophesying to the people in the south specifically to the people in Judah. And at that time, they are experiencing great prosperity, which unfortunately, when people are experiencing great prosperity, they often turn away from God. And that's what happened here. In fact, Micah points out, you don't really want me to preach to you. This is the kind of preacher you want. He says in Micah 2.11, if a man would preach about wind, utter wind and lies, saying, I preach to you of wine and strong drink, Well, that would be the kind of preacher that you want, one that's going to tell you what you want to hear. Micah's saying, I'm not that liberal preacher. No, I'm going to tell you what God is saying to you. I'm going to give you the truth, whether you like me or not. So he says in Micah 3.8, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now, We both know that much of the Old Testament books tend to be a lot of doom and gloom, a lot of God's judgment on his people. But in every book, there is a glimmer of hope. There is hope. In Micah, it's no different. There is great hope, in fact, in Micah. In fact, I know that Micah um, was familiar with Ruth. Remember Ruth from last week? We learned in Ruth that uh, she was responsible for Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Now, what we see in Micah 5.2 is another prophecy that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. But you, he says, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days." And of course, Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He is the Messiah born in Bethlehem, which is a wonderful prophecy Jesus filled. Oftentimes, again, I said people living in prosperity turn away from God. They don't head in the direction. Maybe life is going very good for you, and maybe you are forgetting about God. You are walking away from God. And I believe God has a way of shaking us up. I believe God can use natural events to produce supernatural results. We call that God's providence. And I believe God can take this COVID-19 virus and I believe he can use it for his good. And I believe he will do that. You see, in Micah's day, there was bad news a little north of them. The northern kingdom that, that, that um, had split off, they, were, they went into captivity while the southern kingdom, Judah, the people Micah was preaching to, they were loving life, experiencing prosperity. But yet, just north of them, those people went into captivity. It should have woken them up. It should have alerted them to that they needed to turn back to God. But they didn't. I want to share, you a, uh, share with you a, uh, an interesting way in which um, Jewish people today um, turn back to God. It's a it, it, it happens 
every Jewish New Year's Eve. They have a different calendar. And every Jewish New Year's Eve, it's called Rosh Hashanah. And when they celebrate, the, they do some different things um, as a way of celebrating their New Year's Eve. But one of the symbolic gestures called Tashlik is that they will go to a stream of water a body of water, a lake, a river, and they will empty their pockets into the water. And the reason why they do that is because they're symbolically saying, I'm emptying my sins into the water. You see, it comes from Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. He says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? God does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Did you hear that? you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And that's what they do. They, they go to the body of water and they empty their pockets, casting their sins into the sea. Now, Corey Tinboom, I believe, wrote that God also posts a sign there that says, not my favorite sign, but it says, no fishing allowed. No fishing allowed. You see, what he's saying is that you cannot go try to catch and bring up those sins that you cast into the sea. You don't need to relive those bad things that you did, those mistakes. No need to be reminded of them. God doesn't do that. No fishing allowed. I know I joke sometimes when spouses get angry with one another, they tend to get a little hysterical and historical. They like to bring up stuff from the past, but God doesn't do that, and God is telling you, You don't do that either. Cast your sins into the sea. If you have sin in your life today, I'm telling you to confess that to God. He will forgive you and he will forget it. He won't bring it up again. And that's the God that we have. That should be reassuring to you. Micah brings us great hope. He concludes um, at the end of his, his letter here, his book, Um, If you ever wonder what God would want from you, this is one of my favorite verses. If you ever wonder what God wants from you, Micah 6.8 tells you, God, uh, Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what Micah tells you to do. To do good, love justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Now that sounds a lot like what Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. No matter how you feel today, trust God and obey. doesn't matter how you feel today. You can trust God and obey. We're going to end with 2 John. 2 John is one chapter. You can read the book of 2 John in probably a minute or two. It's only 13 verses, but yet it has the same theme as Ecclesiastes and Micah. In 2 John, John writes to a church, calls it, uh, calls it a dear lady. And there were lots of churches, Christian churches, that were experiencing some false teaching. 
They were very kind and generous. They would invite people into their homes. And these false teachers took advantage of that and they would teach um, really lies. And um, if we read the whole New Testament, if you've read a lot of the books in the New Testament, you probably know what those lies were. They often would want these Christians to follow the Jewish customs of old. They would want them to obey all 600 commands. But it was Jesus who did not um, say that they needed to do that, but he summed up the 600 commands with two, and he said, love God and love one another. That was what Jesus said is his command. So John reteaches that. John spent a lot of time with Jesus. He says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, the church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one you've had from the very beginning, love one another. And this is the love we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. That's what Jesus said. Love God and love one another. Don't be burdened by what kind of food you're supposed to eat, the circumcision, all of that stuff. Just love God and love one another. No matter how you feel today, trust God and obey. That's what these books are teaching you and me. I read to you again. What does John say? Walk with God, obey his commandments. What does Micah say? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. What does Ecclesiastes say? Fear God and keep his commandments. They're all saying the same thing. No matter how you feel today, trust God and obey. You may be thinking that, boy, that sounds like a hymn that I've sang in the past. And it is. It comes from trust and obey. One of the most popular hymns of all time is Trust and Obey. And I want to share with you how that song, that hymn, was written. It's a little history, if you will. It was a Dwight L. Moody evangelistic meeting in Brockton, Massachusetts. In Brockton, Brockton, Massachusetts. A young man stood up to testify about his confidence of salvation. He said, I'm not quite sure meaning he wasn't really sure if God would actually forgive him of his sins. He's like, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. And when he said those words, when he gave that testimony in front of everyone, there was a, a man that was, that was on the, responsible for the music that night. His name was Daniel Towner. And those words, I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey, were, were just seemed to be so profound to him that he scribbled them on a piece of paper, he tucked it in his pocket, and when he got home, he sent them to a friend of his, a pastor named John Samus. And in his letter, he told him about the young man's testimony, told him the whole story, and he asked um, Samus to write a letter, and so, or a, a song. And Samus quickly transformed those words into a hymn chorus, which, is re- which goes like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Then he had the, the five stanzas to go with it, which many sing today. 
But I want to tell you another story that goes right along with this hymn. Trust and Obey, a famous hymn back from, from the late 1800s. That's when this, this was written, late 1800s. But not too long ago, there was a man who took that theme, uh, that, that, those three words, trust and obey, and made it his life theme. His name is Bruce Miller of Corning, New York. Many years ago, Bruce experienced a lot of pain and suffering. He had throat cancer. And with his throat cancer, he went to the doctors and they were able to get it under control. But following that, melanoma came into his life and they were able to work through that. Then he had heart trouble and had to have bypass surgery. In the midst of all of that suffering, he was uh, suffering also from a puzzling neurological disease that incapacitated his arms and his hands. But through all of that pain and suffering, Bruce chose to trust his present and his future in the Lord. There was one particular stint in the hospital in which a social worker came by every day and would ask him a round of questions. And she would name um, words, she would give words that, that were um, feelings and that he was supposed to describe on a scale of 1 to 10 um, how um, strongly he felt. 10 would, would be, couldn't be higher, it's the extreme. So she would say happy, she would say depressed, she would say tense, and he would give a number based on his feelings. And one of the categories was trust. And Bruce remembers about a week into this, day after day, the social worker picked up the chart and laughed out loud because whenever the question was trust, whenever the word was trust, Bruce always gave a 10. Always gave a 10. And he smiled at her and he said, I don't put my trust in doctors or prescriptions. I put my trust in the Lord. I've done that a long time ago and I've obeyed him and I have um, find joy in that. No matter how you feel today, trust God and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust God and obey. I pray this message was encouraging to you and reassuring that it doesn't matter what feelings that you go through on a daily basis, that you can trust God and obey and you can find joy in life. You can be reassured that he is still on the throne. He is still ruling this world. He still is in charge. He still is an awesome God who gives us amazing grace. I pray that as we sing this final song that you will just take those words in to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God bless you.